Joshua chapter 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kami, the son of Simri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, and they were rooted by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarry and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of the Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring these people across Jordan to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel had been rooted by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have not put them with, they have put them with their own possession. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward men by men. Whatever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with what belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. Had the clan of the Zerahites came forward by families, and Simra was chosen. Joshua and his family came, had his family came forward men by men, and Achan, son of 
Kami, the son of Simri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder in the plunder, a beautiful rub from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua together with all Israel took Achan son of Zerah, the silver, the rope, the gold, and his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, why have you brought the trouble to unto us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they have stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place had been called the Valley of Anchor ever since. If your Bible's open at Joshua chapter 7, uh, that would be helpful as we uh, read through some of those verses again today. Why don't we ask the Lord to assist us as we look at um, what can be a difficult passage on first reading. Let's pray. Father, we uh, do thank you for your word to us. Thank you for uh, what we saw in Joshua 6 last week. And as we turn to this passage of Joshua 7, where the tables seem to have been turned a little we would ask that you just assist us and guide us as we think about these verses. And Father, may we uh, get a bigger picture of you and uh, what you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I'm going to start with a question today for you. Uh, do you remember when your last aha moment was? And you know what it was. Your last aha moment. You know what an aha moment is, right? It's um, when... Uh, you come into an understanding or perspective that is sharper and more focused than you had before. Oprah Winfrey describes an aha moment as a, a, like a light bulb moment, or when a bell chimes in your head and the little hairs on your arms stand up. Well, on one of Oprah's shows, uh, actor Morgan Freeman told, told about a series of aha moments that he had that led him to decide to drop his training as a fighter pilot with the military and instead go into training as an actor. Well, I think Joshua chapter 7 that was just read to us this morning uh, is actually pregnant with aha moments about uh, the problem of our sin in the presence of a holy God. And I want to look at three of those aha moments for Joshua and Israelites. And the three are these. They had an aha moment about thankfulness and humility in the sense that they don't come naturally. Humility and thankfulness don't come naturally. They had an aha moment that God is holy. 
we say about that earlier. God is holy. And the third one, an aha moment about the fact that sin and holiness can't coexist. So let's look at those three together. Firstly, thankfulness and humility don't come naturally. Well, last week, for those that were here in the morning, we looked at Joshua chapter 6, and we thought about the fact that we cannot take credit for our victories. Do you remember that? Um, you remember we talked about the Israelites having done a bravery, was the way we thought about it. Uh, the Israelites did a bravery when they conquered Jericho, we said. Well, we imagine what it would have been like if the Israelites in that battle had started bragging about their victory. We thought about how ludicrous it would have been for them to do so. <clears throat> Yet, I wonder, did it occur to you, as, we, as Joshua chapter 7 was read to us today, how short the memories were of the Israelites? Why don't you follow along with me as I read uh, verses 2 and 3 again from Joshua chapter 7. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the others will have to go up against Ai. Send just two or three thousand men to take it. Do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. I want to suggest that what we see here is hubris, excessive pride or self-confidence. What we thought last week was unimaginable, we see in the Israelites, we see the Israelites falling for this week. In light of a gigantic victory that they had won at Jericho, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord they somehow were now internalising. They were owning it as their own victory. Instead of inquiring of the Lord about a battle plan for AI, they went about it their own way, thinking that they were in control of what was going on. Well, on this score, Joshua's aha moment comes in verses 10 to 13. God essentially says to Joshua there, what are you doing whinging about your defeat? Had you inquired of me about AI before you went in, rather than rushing in with hubris, you would have known that the Israelites had taken things I had told them not to take. Follow along with me again, verses 10 to 13, as I read that. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Well, you can almost hear Joshua doing the aha. It's this aha moment. We needed to plan our entry into AI in thankful, thankfulness for what God had done for us in Jericho. And we also had to plan it in humility, inquiring of the Lord 
not presuming we know the best way to go about things, even when it looks like the simplest of tasks. Well, let's not ourselves be quick to judge the Israelites, though. If truth be known, don't we struggle with some of this as well? Rushing in with self-confidence and not inquiring of the Lord how he wants us to go about things, particularly with the simplest of tasks. I'm wondering, after last week's challenges from Joshua 6, how we're going at cultivating a habit of thankfulness for what God has done in our lives. Well, this passage shows us that one of the problems of our sin in the presence of a holy God is that thankfulness and humility don't come naturally. We need God's help to be thankful to Him. And we need His help to be humble and humble ourselves before Him. If you want to work hard on cultivating this in your own life, can I commend to you again the book I commended to you last week by Ed Boskamp called A Thousand Gifts? If you were to do that in the coming year, Follow that idea of writing three things down, three or four things down each day that you would be thankful for. At this time next year, you'll have a diary with a thousand things that you've been thankful to God for. Well, the second aha moment uh, comes uh, and to Joshua and the Israelites surrounding the fact that God is a holy God. In regard to his holiness, the aha moment comes when God addresses Joshua in chapter two, in chapter seven, but verse twelve B, if you look at that with me. He says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Well, this would have been a strong aha moment for Joshua, I think, because of his previous conversation with God. It took place just a week or two earlier before this event at Ai when he was talking to the commander of the army of the Lord about the exact same topic. We actually looked at this last week, but I'm going to read it again for us today. This encounter came at the end of chapter 5, so you might just need to flip back a page to Joshua 5, verses 13 and 14. Joshua 5, verses 13 and 14. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Well, that must have seemed now like a very strange response to Joshua when what followed that encounter was a resounding military victory over the city of Jericho. It came after a very detailed battle plan that, that, that Joshua was given that they followed out to a T. Surely it seemed that God was for the Israelites, even though he was saying in that verse that he wasn't for them. But no, in this aha moment, we see that God truly neither is for Israel nor for Israel's enemies. He will not be with them anymore, he said in Joshua 7, unless they get on board with what God is doing. Our God is holy, which means set apart. Do we have this high view of God as set apart, as holy? 
all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, our Almighty God is on about fulfilling His purposes and inviting His people to be part of what He is doing. He's not for us or against us either. The more appropriate question for Joshua and for us is are we for God and taking part in what He is doing in the world and in our own hearts and lives? Well, acknowledging that God is a holy God then allows us to view our sin more appropriately. It's not about the things we do or neglect to do per se, sin, that is. Rather, it's about the attitude of our hearts. You know, it always has been about our hearts and it always will be about the attitude of our hearts. Is our heart leading us to do whatever we want to do in an unfettered unrestrained way like Achan when he took the things that were devoted to the Lord? Or is our heart being shaped to get in line with what God is doing in the world? Well, in this story of Joshua chapter 7, we get the fly on the wall perspective way back in verse 1. The author shadowed for us what was actually going to come in chapter 7. Look at that with me, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The take-home message from verse 1 is that this was not going to be a Hollywood ending. The initial battle for Ai, in fact, was going to have a very sad In the presence of a holy God, sin is a massive problem. Like oil and water, they just don't mix. It's actually like one of the scientific laws of the universe. Sin cannot remain in the presence of a holy God. We saw this, you know it, from actually from way back in Genesis We saw this happen when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. That sin cannot remain in the presence of the Holy God. And we've seen it here today in this passage about Abraham. The same commander of the army of the Lord who had said as such, I have come, is now saying, because of the sin in your midst, I am gone and I will not return unless that sin is dealt with. But right back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, we saw that the penalty for sin back then is death. And this passage for us today is actually a stark reminder of that as we see the final consequence of Achan's sin, literally, is death. Right here is another aha moment for all of Israel. The problem of sin in the presence of a holy God that they cannot coexist. The penalty of sin is death. Now, if we saw last week in Rahab, the outsider from the kingdom of God becoming an insider, I guess you could say Achan is the archetype of the insider becoming an outsider. Well, we've just looked at some three of the aha moments in this passage, Joshua chapter 7, that relate to the problem of sin 
in the presence of a holy God. They are that thankfulness and humility don't come naturally. God is holy, and sin and holiness cannot coexist. But you know, Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today's passage affords us the opportunity to fan into flame a desire to have a growing awareness of God's holiness and our own sinfulness. Why? Because as we do, we're going to go through a series of aha moments all through our life about the problem of sin in the presence of a holy God. Not so that we'll feel condemned. That's not the point. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. On the contrary, what we will do is wonder anew at the cross and it will continually grow in importance in our lives. Not only in our lives, but in our hearts and in our minds. I want to show you a diagram that the guys are going to help me with at the back. This diagram actually depicts how the cross will become larger than life for us when we grow in our understanding of God's holiness and the incompatibility of sin. It'll do this as we bring the problem of our sin in the presence of the Holy God to the foot of the cross. It is the death and resurrection of Christ that removes our sin. And it's actually that that allows us into the presence of God. So as the wonder of the cross dawns on us more and more, it allows us to walk victoriously with Jesus as as we respond to his invitation to take part in what his purposes and plans are for the world. As we do, the importance of the cross grows, it magnifies, and it is magnified in our life becomes larger and larger in importance. So I want to encourage us today from Joshua chapter 7 to think about our our attitude of thankfulness and humility before the Lord to grow in that understanding. I want us to think about how as we come into the Christmas season we think about the holiness of God and the importance of what Christ has done for us in dealing with our sin in the presence of the Holy God. So, as we come before our God today, let's do it in that act of humility uh, and that act of wanting our hearts to be changed, our hearts to be molded into the likeness of Christ so that that transforms us and the cross looms bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you that as your spirit touches our lives, we go through our moments of understanding, further understanding of what you have done in the world and what you are doing in the world. Father, I pray that as we draw close to you, and particularly over Christmas as we celebrate that on Wednesday, we pray that that coming of the birth of Jesus into the world, you, our Lord and God, entering the world, the world through the person of Jesus, 
that we would be reminded to bring our sin, our own sin, before the foot of the cross where Jesus ends up coming, and that we may have a growing understanding of the magnitude of what you have done for us on the cross. May that influence our hearts and our minds, and may your word keep transforming us by the power of the Spirit to be people who shine your light here in Sydney and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.